Hey, a little bit of sexy swapping going on here on Nocturnal Pleasures, your nighttime radio show here on Deep Space Nine. Let's hope that next time we all bring our swingers keys and throw them in the bowl and we all get what we want. What do you next Oh my god, you must have listened to some of this for you yes, to be able to I'm... just do it that easily. <laughs> what, what's your point? <laughs> I, 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 I think that is my point. I, I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast, a Two True Freaks presentation. Today's episode is Time's Orphan, and I am ever I'm Andrew Leyland, your guide to the nocturnal pleasures of the promenade. I am joined, as ever, by the New York Times, Paul Spataro. Hello. Time is an illusion, Dave Pascarella. How's it going? And time for bed, Bill Robinson. Fake news. <laughs> Bedtime for Bilzo. Are you ready for bed? Mm, I'm always ready for bed. Well, there you go. It's not fake news then, is it? Well, you said you're the one who brought up New York Times and news things, and I was just trying to be uh, timely. Topical. Topical. Not a topical solution. That was a topical fungus. I'm not a topical supreme. Mine was just a joke that Paul's from New York. Not everything's political, dude. Ugh. Anyway, as we have already said, today's episode is Season 6, Episode 24, Time's Orphan. O'Brien's ideal family is about to face, pulled her out ten years too late, the ultimate nightmare. Ah! Molly! On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. From a story by Joe Minoski and a teleplay by Bradley Thompson and David Waddell and directed by Alan Kroka. Kroka! Before we get to that... I wonder if you do pronounce it like Cecily uh, Lofsky did. I think you should. Uh, uh, before that, any no, any news? Anything that we want to talk about? Any friends become enemies? Enemies become friends? Mm-hmm. How's that story going? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just give me my money, Bry. <laughs> I can't take it when you do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm taking that bit that we've got nothing. I got nothing. I'm empty. Uh, um, the only thing I can think of, it has confirmed Riker and Troy will be in, in Picard. That's the only thing I can think of. Oh, have we already discussed that? When, it, when is remember. Picard supposed to debut? End of January. So this will this will be... We'll, we'll have already seen some Picard by the time this comes out. Yeah. See, because the plan was we'd, we'd had Deep Space Nine finished and we would have hoped to have done Picard on a weekly basis. But obviously we would, that won't happen there, which is a shame. So we, we can always do it after the fact if we choose. Yeah, to. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we can always do it after it's finished because it's, it's only is it six episodes or ten episodes? I'm not sure. It's not very long. All right. 
I was going to ask if does anybody know if we're going to get some Picard shorts, but then I figured somebody would make a funny joke about Picard underwear, so I passed on it. But now I've said it anyway, so now I'll just stop. Hmm. I, I do believe they are doing a short with a, a relation to Picard, yes. Hmm. I don't know that it will star Patrick Patrick Stewart, but uh, it will have it, there will be a Star Trek short about, about Picard. I'm I'm Sean Connery, and you're listening to Listen to the Prophets, Miss Moneypenny. I do hope you'll stay tuned in. I'm Don't in walk pa- on my keyboard, you little cat. In my Picard shorts, I surrender. <laughs> anyway, time's off. Uh, the guest cast for this one was Rosalind Chow as K. Cole O'Brien, Hannah Hatte as Molly O'Brien, and Michelle Krusiek as 18-year-old Molly O'Brien. The O'Brien family, reunited after Deep Space Nine has been reclaimed, takes a family trip to the planet Golana 4. Whilst playing, eight-year-old Molly falls into an abandoned time portal, despite Miles O'Brien's efforts to save her. The portal closes after Molly passes through. The station staff quickly comes to the O'Brien's aid to try and recover Molly using transporter technology to lock onto her signal once they are able to open the portal again. However, they find the portal has opened at a different time, and the Molly they rescue is now 18 years old and feral after having to survive on her own over the last 10 years in planets past. Molly is brought back to the station and placed in a special habitat made to resemble the planets to allow the O'Brien's to try to reconnect with their daughter. During this time, Jadzia Dax offers to look after infant Yoshi O'Brien, but when this interrupts her planned scientific ventures, Worf offers to watch the child. Molly slowly comes to remember her parents, but is still barely controllable and confined to the boundaries of the habitat. The O'Briens take her to a hollow suite to give her the appearance of more space, to which she responds positively. However, when two Klingons demand the scheduled use of the hollow suite, Molly becomes violent. Starfleet informs the O'Briens that it plans to put Molly in a mental institution, a situation that neither Miles nor Keiko believes is ideal for Molly. With help from a sympathetic Odo, Miles works to secretly return Molly to the portal on Golana 4, with the intention of destroying it to prevent Starfleet from finding her. After Miles and Keiko say their goodbyes, Molly returns through the portal, but encounters her younger self in a remarkably convenient piece of script writing, only a short time after she had fallen through. The older Molly points her younger self back through the portal. As soon as the younger Molly passes through, the older Molly disappears. Molly reappears moments before Miles is about to destroy the portal, and the family happily reunites. Back aboard the station, they find that while Worf had a difficult time caring for Yoshi, the infant did learn one of the Klingon games Worf taught him, making Worf feel proud of himself. The end. Okay. Um, you go first. I, I was going to say, which we talked about earlier, uh, not for the recording, but uh, I thought this was a pretty enjoyable episode. I thought it was a pretty good study of, you know, what would happen if somebody had to grow up in the wild and all of that stuff. But it's just so incredibly convenient that the young Molly is found when they send her back. Uh, you know, it's, it, it just kind of almost negates the episode to some extent for me. And, it, you know, as far as the meaningfulness of it, you know, the O'Briens are making a tremendous sacrifice. They, they love their daughter, despite, you know, what's going on with her. And, uh, and they're willing to send her away for her own well-being. Uh, Although that was only when Starfleet actually threatened to take her away anyway, because otherwise they were being a little stubborn with that. I guess they never came to that decision on their own that she'd be better off back there. But the conveniently finding young Molly and sending her back and then all is as it was and nothing has changed, we're back to status quo, just seemed so incredibly convenient 
that it was bothersome to me, and it, that bothersomeness kind of retroactively hurt some of the episode for me. Yeah, I agree with you, because I think for the most part, it's dealing with this idea of losing a child, which is is a horrible thing for any parent to have to go through. And then to get that child back 10 years later, as far as the child is concerned, to have to go through rebuilding your relationship and all that stuff was beautifully played by um, by Colt Meany and Rosalind Chow. But then to get to the end of it, the, all of that's negated because, yeah, they remember that they had an 18 year old Molly at some point, but Molly doesn't remember it. And as such, it, it did kind of feel like one of those it was all a dream episodes of a show where all of the good that was done and all of the nice character work and all of the good acting and the lovely boat mate, the lovely, lovely moment with Odo when he says, you know, if I thought anyone could break somebody out of a cell on this station, it would be you, chief. And then he lets them go. First season, Odo wouldn't have done that. So that's a lovely moment for his character. Would and sixth then, yeah, season just, Odo have done that, though? Was that yeah, out yes, of character I, or was that no, true? I honestly. I believe that was true to who Odo is now, that he's got to know these people as friends. He knows the family, the O'Briens. He's softened a lot thanks to his relationship with Kira. And I think he would totally do that because Odo is not above thinking that sometimes Starfleet is a bunch of sanctimonious pricks. Um, in this particular case, he's on the O'Brien side, which I totally thought. And technically bought. he's not Starfleet. So yeah, he, that's he, what I mean. So, But I also think O'Brien, uh, not O'Brien, I also think Bashir would have done that as well. I think Bashir would have. I, I had no doubt about that. I was going back and forth on whether Odo would. I wasn't sure. But I'm going to accept your uh, take on it that he would have. Yeah. I, al- and then- I, almost, I almost thought the line was going to be, you should have come to me when he caught them. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But there was. did you not think that the implication there was that Odo was willing to turn a blind eye to them escaping and had, in fact, set it up? So that escaping shouldn't have been difficult. Yes. Yeah, I did as well. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because yeah. then he could have he could have played the whole I knew nothing about it card. Whereas now he actually had to help them. And again, we see another one of those Starfleet things where a, a Starfleet officer disobeys a direct order, and there will be no repercussions from it. And and I think that also goes to the convenience. The fact that the young Molly comes back is kind of what mean it, it turns it into a no harm no foul situation. Like, you know, we're yeah. back to total status quo, so Starfleet's going to, you know, it almost justifies Starfleet turning a blind eye to it. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, because now they can say, well, you've got your eight-year-old back, it doesn't really matter anymore, we'll just forget about it. Yeah, it's just convenient, isn't it? Yeah. Well, one, of the, chief, well, one of the chief could have wiped the logs anyway. But they, yeah. they already knew uh, what, about what, what, it. What, what, I, and speaking of wiping things, I'm a little, I guess it's convenient, but... Uh, I'm disturbed by the fact, much like when the whole planet of people was wiped out, you know, that she was her older self was you you would have thought being on the other side of that portal that maybe she could have been insulated by the change because if she gets wiped out, how could she ever be there to bring her younger self back? Oh, time travel. Ah, ah, Well, is the implication not with the time travel, the time portal that they actually pluck Molly out from exactly the moment she went in? So as far as she's concerned, no time passed at all. Well, but time did pass. She was sitting on that. Well, that's what I'm saying, that she shouldn't, that the older Molly shouldn't have disappeared. She should have just stayed there in an altered reality. And they could have visited and used used that character at another time. Well, they're also you've also got the same arguments in this one that we had in Children of Time, where they're arguing that this entire race of people here to go back, we would be wiping them out. And Bashir has exactly the same argument for 18 year old Molly, whereas 
in this one, Bashir's argument doesn't really hold water, because if O'Brien's right and they send 18-year-old back and pluck 8-year-old Molly out, then 18-year-old Molly never existed. But it's not a choice they end up making anyway, because they don't send her back for the sake of no, they bringing back 8-year-old Molly. Yeah, yeah, they, they send, send her because she's going to be in a mental institution for the rest of her life otherwise. Yeah, right. so the ethical implications of the episode aren't explored as well as they are in Children of Time. And some of this comes down, I think, if you go on the, the Memory Alpha Wikipedia, basically this was a story that was pitched over and over again, normally with Alexander, and then it became Molly. And then it only got green lit because towards the end of the season they needed a bottle show to save some money. And ultimately that's what it feels like. It feels like, well, we can do all of this, but at the end of it we have to put everything back where it was because that's all this is. It's a saving money bottle show. <coughs> Yeah, and it, it's, I mean, it's its fairly entertaining. It's not, you know, this this is, you know, we talk about the flick test. If I was flipping through, I'd probably stop on this one and keep watching, even though it's not one of my big favorites. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's not a bad episode. It's just a little disturbing that they just conveniently all go back to status quo. And it, like I said, it, it almost retroactively bothers me through the rest of the episode. Um, what do you think of the subplot with Worf, other than the comedy element of it? As far as you can comment on the comedy whenever you feel like it, but I'm curious as to what you think about the implications of always trying to learn how to be like a good parent or to show Jadzia that he could be a good parent. Well, the whole reason that they put that in there is because they realized they were going to be writing out Jadzia at the end and they wanted something else to show, kind of like to pull the rug out from under you more. It's great, more they, of a tragedy when she leaves the show. Yeah, yeah, that they, oh, we have future plans. Eh, not so much. But yeah, I mean, it was nice to see that, you know, Worf's angst that, he, you know, M, can I be a good father? You know, um... Would he see. have that angst, though? Uh, Is well, that true to his character? Well, he did kill a kid playing soccer. He doesn't want to, you know... I understand that. Kid. You know, I mean, he might have, you know, will he make mistakes? Well, Worf is always full of self-doubt. and I mean, for a warrior, he seems to be full of a lot of, you know, can I do this right? Yeah, it's a very he, emo he, warrior. He's a worry, not a worry warrior. A warrior. Worry, a, I am the warrior. Can I cross the street at the light? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> he's just a worrier. The worrier. But, uh... It was touching, you know, he was so, like, he almost has too much gusto in everything he does. He tries to throw himself, he's like that friend you have that just goes overboard when you, you know, hey, let's play this game. And then he goes and learns all the rules and sucks all the fun out of it when, you know, just just be a parent. Just go with it when it happens, Worf. Don't try to overthink it, just do it. Mm. I I liked most of that. I I liked Jadzia looking after Yoshi, and I like Worf playing with him. Which is quite funny. <laughs> like teaching him how to be a young warrior. <laughs> yeah. And he bumps his head. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh. I would I love th- him to like pick up some of this now. Do a, a Star Trek show set like 30 odd years later. And Yoshi is the Klingon ambassador. The Starfleet <laughs> ambassador to Klingon. Because of his Uncle Worf. I think that'd be brilliant. He, he greets Worf. Gong, gong, gong. Yeah. <laughs> that, oh. was, that was quite charming. What, what I found amusing was after Yoshi got hit in the head and Dr. Bashir's coming out, and he says, oh, he, he's sleeping now, and let him rest. I always thought if you were hit in the head, you weren't supposed to sleep. <laughs> well, Clearly, so there's have. been some medical advances. In also, you should smoke years. as much as you can. <laughs> it's, it's tobacco. It's the best thing in the world for you. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's it's the wharf dag's dark stuff that gives you all the best best lines in this episode as well. All of the, all of that's really fun. What is this infant doing in my home? I do like Wolf when he's trying to be um, he's trying to be all manly, and then Jadzia just cuts him off at the knees. See, I, I think at this point in his life, I'm just going back to the Wolf characterization. I think at this point in his life, he would be reticent to have any more children. Now he might give in to Jadzia if she's indicated a desire to have any, but I would think he would. You know, he's he's had Alexander, and he is really a guy who's kind of married to his career uh and he's not the best dad in to alexander well, there's this, there's plenty of people out there who aren't good parents and keep having children so that i'm not gonna mm. you know they, they, they don't a lot of people aren't introspective enough to realize that they're not good parents uh so i'm not gonna necessarily oh, that is put that on his characterization uh but i i don't think i would think he would be hesitant to have any more children and like i said if jedzia expressed a desire to he might do so to please her and he might be able to be convinced that it's a good idea but i wouldn't think he'd be the one championing the idea mm. yeah and i would like the, what i got from it was that this was something they hadn't really seriously talked about but it was something that was on the table so it's, it's not what's his name I think I would have liked it if they had some sort of a scene in there where, like, early on, when they first start watching Yoshi, if Jadzia said something about, oh, like, you know, when, when we have kids, and you yeah, see, like, the, the kind of the, the surprised look on his face, but then he kind of, like, ex, you know, he, it would call, call for some decent acting from on his part to show a little surprise and then acceptance and then wants to show Jadzia what a good daddy could be. Mm. But also, he's in a different situation here as well. Alexander was not planned. Yes. Alexander was an accident. Whereas here, he's married and content and happy. And uh, he's put a little bit of weight on, which has, has O'Brien. That was a funny moment as well at the beginning. What have you been eating while I've not been here? Because uh, you know he's just been eating the takeout every night with uh, Julian. Mm-hmm. Why is Julian so, so skinny then? Well, because Julian is one of those irritating people who has the kind of metabolism that allows him to eat anything he wants, and he remains skinny, and I loathe those people with them. the fiery passion of a thousand burning suns. That's like Dave Pascarella. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> He's not here. He can't, do, he can't do his lunge move at me right now. <laughs> Not says right the man now. who's just eaten a jam donut. <laughs> He's sucking down a key lime pie as we speak. Key lime pie! Give me pie! Didn't Worf... He didn't know about Alexander at all, right? No, he, he showed didn't, up. He didn't no, know about it. Yeah. Surprise, yeah. I'm about to die. Here's your kid. Yeah. Uh, KLO showed up with him one year later. The kid well, was yeah, about she four. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I I see, the I next time we see Alexander, he looks about eight. I could see Worf doing a much better job the second time round. Oh, I, I, know, I don't question that. Yeah, I don't question he that he could he be wasn't better. Involved in the first. Well, maybe, he, yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, and well, then he he left with Alexander with his parents. So maybe he is trying to overcompensate here. Hmm. No, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I can get all of that. But like I said, I think his initial motivation should be that, that initially he should be thinking, oh, I'm not having any more kids. And then he should kind of be won over to it. No, you see, they could have spun this off into a whole new series with him and Jadzia. Yes, being that's right, sitcom. With the stepmom, Alexander shows up. You love the new baby more than me. You're not my mother. Yeah, we could have had a Star Trek sitcom with the, the, the Wharf family move to a suburban area. Meet the yeah. wharves. Meet yeah. the wharves, yes. Meet the Roshenkos. 
<laughs> that would be genius. Well, he, he, I, I, you I know what? Watch that ship. He could have he could have gotten a job working on a sailing ship, and they could have called it Fisherman's Wharf. Yay. <laughs> oh, the new neighbors moved in. Just see him in the yellow the yellow wet suit. I can just see him. And I'm just hearing like I'm seeing like opening credits, like something like you know Three's Company. <laughs> <laughs> Come and knock on our wharf. Come and knock on our wharf. We've got some fishing for you. Got some fishing for you. Our wharf got Jadzia knocked up. <laughs> and is uh, would Don Knotts be the uh, be be the landlord for the wharf? He'd be the captain of the boat that wharf works on. <laughs> now, Mister Wharf, you just can't do that. <laughs> I'm picturing Wharf like on the bow of the ship with the yellow slicker and hat on. In, in like the rain, like at the beginning of Gilligan's Island kind of thing. Only he's holding a baby in his arms while he's doing his... Is he doing the scene from Titanic? You know, hold, holding the kid up? No, no, that I didn't no, picture. No. <laughs> that one I didn't go with, but you could run with that if you want. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, it, it's it's kind of... Uh, here we go again, though, where we're, we're giving more attention to the characterization <laughs> in the B-plot than we are to the, the main B-plot, story. Yeah. I mean, I uh, guess, and I guess we should because, look a little bit more at the main story. The main story, when it initially started, reminded me of that. Do you remember that kid, Jessica McClure? The one who fell, fell down, down the well? Maybe Jessica? Oh, yeah. Right. And that's where I thought they were going with this initially. I, I, this episode, the first time I saw it, had such an impact, I didn't even remember it. Well, same here. But that, that's where I thought it was going. And as the episode developed, when it, by the time it got to the end, I have to be honest with you, I was watching with a man of my youngest, and I, I was really happy they got baby Molly back through, you know, whatever uh, gymnastical moves they did to get her back. I, I, I was kind of happy that it was a happy ending. Yeah, I, I was as well, because I think it would have been too much of a torture O'Brien episode to lose 10 years with his daughter. I just I just agree with Paul that how they did it, it was really convenient. If they'd seeded that in the show, that there's a very real possibility that we may be able to go back to the portal. And because it's a time portal, we don't quite know how it works. We may be able to, to get younger Molly back somehow. But as it was, it just seemed like really convenient and lucky that that's how it turned out if they had done that they could have played with it a little bit too and had the o'briens emotionally tortured a little bit about do we keep we have molly here she's 18 years old and she's feral and and she's struggling but we have her if we send her back there's a chance we don't get anything back or there's a chance we get eight-year-old molly back do we risk that do we take that sacrifice is it better for her you know what's what's better you know like they could have gone into all the implications of it that way and i would have paid i would have paid for there to be a line we could get her back not in five months but in 500 years (laughs) (laughs) molly in the 30th century Well, maybe, maybe something. Even you know what? Even so, as silly as that was, Dave, uh, maybe maybe something along those lines of you know, by sending her back, she's going to live a normal life, but not with you. You know, you get you know where, where it's somehow she will be rescued, but she's going to be rescued at the you know in the other quadrant or whatever. And you're not you know we know there's people there who are going to take care of her and she'll be fine, but you won't have her. Somehow, you know, I mean, you have to really contrive something for that. But some sort of like a real ethical dilemma for them would have been nice. 
Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're spot on. Though. I think if they 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 had this dilemma, we can send eighteen year old Molly back, and maybe we get our eight year old back, but eighteen year old Molly dies essentially, and that's do you keep eighteen year old oh, Molly, oh, or no. do you get eight year old Molly back? And, and if we send her back, more interesting. And if we send her back, there's no guarantees we're getting eight year old Molly back. You may lose both of them. I got a way we could have had another uh, really mess with Miles episode. So Molly goes into the thing, and then um, Miles goes in after her. So Keiko's left on the outside, and then Miles steps back through like 20 years later, and he's all aged now, and Molly's dead. And then they have to try to, you know, the old Miles will have to sacrifice himself and go back. And he's the one, like, you see what I'm saying? Like, he, he has to, he goes back. But he finds her and sends himself and his, and and Molly back through, and then the old Miles gets wiped out instead of the old Molly. What, what do you think of that? Or did I? Or is that just too confusing? <laughs> I, I think it's also a little bit too cruel. No man, no man. We gotta hammer Miles. We, he's God. He's you know he's 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 served prison sentences virtually he's he's seen himself it's not the first time we've seen him die you know they've killed him no, off numerous times no, that's true but oh well, yeah may, maybe that would have so, been going to that well too much but you know I, he, I, I, suddenly I keiko's got no husband and no daughter exactly and a single parent yeah i think it would have been better if all three of them went through and they kept coming out at different ages <laughs> And Zachary Sack was playing in the background. The Miles O'Brien show starring Betty Hill. Or they took Chester because we got to see Chester again. We did get to see Chester. They take Chester down to the planet with them. And then when Molly comes back, she's wearing like a Chester, you know, like outfit because she had the skin and eat the cat. Yeah. And she's chewing on a bone. Meow. She's got Chester bones in her hair, and, and she speaks like the cat. Meow. Because that's the only person she had to talk to. Yeah. Meow. Meow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, she acts like a cat. She was raised by cats. <laughs> <laughs> that would be brilliant, because then you just got a whole red dwarf thing. <laughs> she, just, she just appears through the portal going, Ow, I look good. <laughs> And suddenly you've turned this into a better comedy episode than the Quart one last week. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta walk around the maybe O'Brien apartment pissing on everything. <laughs> it's mine now. That's mine. That's mine. That's mine. She can go over to Yoshi's crib and just start scratching at it and then take a shit. <laughs> oh, this is the best episode ever. And you've got poor, poor Keiko going, I don't know how to look after a regular cat. What am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with the giant one? Oh, I know Brian go rob off to work. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we're going to, I think it would be better if we put her through the portal. They won't have such the, the dilemma to put her back to the portal. <laughs> they would not have a dilemma at all. Do we get rid of Catwoman and possibly get our eight-year-old daughter Even back? Starfleet would be like, yeah, okay, yeah, just go oh. ahead. Just, we'll, we'll just look the other way. You go ahead and put her... Put it through the portal. <laughs> but but at the beginning of this episode, could they have put a bigger red flag up when O'Brien says, oh, yeah, we're never going to be separated again. Yeah. Watch Ooh. this. A little bit of clumsy foreshadowing there. 
little heavy-handed, mm-hmm. but you know. Eh. So I I don't know if there's anything else on this one. No, it's it's a perfectly enjoyable and entertaining bottle show. It does what it does. It's got great acting. It's got some great dialogue. Uh, the Wolf Jadzia plot is is much more satisfying in a way because there is that poignancy to it that Jadzia is going away. But well, you don't know that the first time you watch this. That's only in hindsight that we're aware of it. I think we did know she was leaving, didn't we? I didn't. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. So I didn't but, yeah, I know that. But you're right, it does negate the, the entire O'Brien plotline, which seems a bit sad, really. But, you know, it's it's perfectly entertaining and not at all sexist or offensive. So that's a plus. Yeah. Andy, did you, uh, did you notice the O'Brien shouting bollocks? Bollocks! Bollocks! Yeah. He says it properly because he's a proper Irishman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was funny. I would have liked him to have banged his head when he said it as well. <laughs> now, to those of you not in the know, those refer to testicles. Yes, bollocks. So it was nice that they got some swearing in the that probably sailed over the censors' heads, but it probably doesn't matter in syndication, does it? Uh, it was saying there was a trivia thing here saying it was uh, that uh, when the episode was first screened by the BBC, uh, the word was removed. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Yeah, it says, however, when RTE, I'm not sure what RTE is. RTE is the Irish version of uh, oh. IT. Screen, oh, screen the episode in Ireland, I guess if I'd read the rest of the sentence. It was left on the soundtrack. Uh, Sci-Fi also cut the word when rebroadcast in the UK in 2014. So, uh, us stupid Americans, Bob oh, bollocks, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> but for you guys, no, 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 no. Yeah, so they edited it in your own country. Yeah, that's what well, it does at six o'clock. So maybe it's considered mm. much more of a, a swearing thing over here, which it is, I suppose. But it's still a relatively inoffensive swear word. To you. Yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I'm quite happy to swear like a sailor, so. Now I just pictured you with Worf. <laughs> Me and Worf hanging out drinking whatever war, warriors drink. Prune juice. Prune juice, yeah. <laughs> a warrior's drink. You should have seen the bollocks on that whale. Bollocks! Ball! Ball! I said bollocks. No, you didn't. You said bull. It's just... It's my accent. My accent. It's my accent. It's my southern... Even though I was born in New Jersey, I lived in the south for most of my life, and I've picked up this southern gentlemanly accent. (laughs) I guess he speaks it with an accent. So now I'm starting to sound like Strother Martin from... What we've got here is a failure to communicate. To communicate. You gotta leave off the word commute too. We got failure communicate. Communicate. Yeah, he gets. Actually, no. He leaves off a. He says what we have here is failure to communicate. He leaves off a. He, that's. Such a I great don't scene. like it any more, any better than you. Such a great scene. And if you don't know what movie that is, figure it out. Cool, and Luke. Shh. I gotta go. Soil the magic. Oh, sorry. Was that? Was that a quiz? Yes, but not for I wonder, you. I wonder if I could eat well, hard-boiled eggs. How many does he eat? 50. Does I couldn't eat? eat 50. I could probably eat a dozen. Oh, God, and his stomach looked like a freaking watermelon. It's going to burst. Ugh, that's a lot of eggs. Imagine the gas he had later. <laughs> Sorry, I've gone too far. Don't light a match. Haven't got enough. Oh. All right, so we're going to rate this? Yeah. Okay, Andy, you did it. Uh, I, I think this is a solid three. I think it's entertaining. It does. It, if you were flicking through the channels, you'd leave it on. It's not one of the better episodes they've ever made, but it's not bad at all. 
I'm going to echo your words, but I'm going to change your rating. I think it's not one of the better episodes. It's not bad. It's average. Therefore, I'm giving it a 2.5. That's fair enough. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 2.5 Chester the Cat outfits uh, (laughs) for my rating. And you know what I'm noticing is that if it's an average or below episode, we always come up – it seems like we come up with a lot of different ideas to change it or make it – tweak it or just completely make it ridiculous i've 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 been noticing that a lot listening back to our discussions i don't know what you mean like like i don't know of what you speak Uh, you're just trying to get my goat no what do you mean you mean like uh, obviously if it's if it's average or below average we do talk about what we think might make it better and i think sometimes our ideas are pretty solid and would have and sometimes they're ridiculous well like well, this time was ridiculous, but last time we said if we had cut the front and back off of the last episode, it would have raised the rating a little bit. Or things we talked about, you know, well, they should have changed this. It might have sent a better message or mm-hmm. explained it better. Right. So maybe it's because we watched way too much TV. No, I, I'm, I'm not. But the thing is, I'm not sure I'm getting what your point is, because, of course, if we have a problem with the episode, if we have a problem with an aspect, well, that's it, we're going to say, right. well, this is how they could have done it. And, and I wouldn't have had a problem if if we have the ability to come up. I with think something. this brought to mind because I was watching TV with my wife last night and we're like five minutes in. And I'm like, OK, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Oh, oh, oh that's going to happen. And, and she's like, why do I watch t- TV with you? I'm like, because I've, I've watched way too much. I know plot lines. She's like, why aren't you writing these? I'm like, because I, I don't have the in. I'm not Harvey Weinstein. But, uh, it always comes back to Harvey, doesn't it? But which if one? Only, if only Fires? you were Harvey Weinstein, Bill. <laughs> no, no, no. You wouldn't be doing a podcast with us. Be doing it from prison. Well, not yet. Maybe not. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen to him? Anyway, Dave's got to give his rating. I found it enjoyable. Uh, Five. I, I like the wolf stuff. I gave it a three. Yes, I, I think this is a solid two and a half, three star episode. Yeah, it's it's it passes the flick test and it's entertaining. No one is saying it wasn't entertaining. The it it, it hurts from the convenient resolution, but it's not a fatal flaw. Mm. So. That's what we think. But what do you think Blaine says? Ooh. Do we have a song? Blaine. What does Blaine say? What does Blaine? What does... Don't ask me why I'm doing Sanford Son. I think it's because we brought that up earlier. <laughs> I thought you were going to do Three's Come. <laughs> what does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? He's got some questions for you. Got some questions for you. Maybe... I, maybe. I, I thought you were going to do it to Yakety Sax. Oh, blame, blame, blame. What does Blaine say? What does Blaine say? Oh, Blaine says, Blaine says, oh, what does Blaine say? You know what I can can say with tremendous confidence is that despite the plethora of Star Trek podcasts out there, none of them are doing that except for us. (laughs) You want that, you have to tune to us. You have to tune to us if you want. If you want us, you have to come here. You hear me, Khan? (laughs) <laughs> you have to come down here. You have to listen to us. I wish oh, I've done far worse than hurt you. I've sang to you. <laughs> <laughs> and I will keep singing to you. <laughs> Making you effectively deaf. <laughs> effectively deaf. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh! <laughs> okay, so Blaine says...
This is another one I missed the first time around. I had two big thoughts early on. I was happy to see Yoshi is still very young and they didn't have him age super rapidly as shows tend to do so that they could use older actors, an older actor who is better at taking direction. And it must have been very common for Molly to let herself into her parents' bedroom in the mornings. Why else would Miles and Keiko wake up fully clothed after their first night together in months? Perhaps it was a little chilly and after they had their little moments, they got dressed again. That's just my thought. Uh, Also, just as far as my thought about the older actor, I think also there's rules not only about taking direction, but how much time they can be on camera in a given day. How many hours they can work. So, you know, that's that's, I think, probably the more problematic thing, because if they had replaced him with a five year old, uh, it it might be even more difficult to get the kid to do what you want. Silly child labor laws. So Blaine goes on to say, honestly, I went through this episode with ever increasing hopes. This is the Star Trek where decisions have consequences. And I have no memory of episodes with Molly at any point after this episode in the series. I thought maybe they would leave her in the past on the world for a while, on that world for a while. That would have been one heck of an ending and one that wouldn't be terribly out of place in the series. It was supported by Odo's line about being disappointed in O'Brien and by the fact that they actually sent Molly back. Then Miles took longer than he ever has in his life to pull out a phaser and use it. The the force delay just felt like it was there solely to build tension. Rather than have him take that long to change settings, having Miles and Keiko holding each other bawling their eyes out at the loss without Miles even drawing the phaser for a while would have felt far too realistic to me when push came to shove molly's parents were taking her loss far too well blaine uh i agree that in that moment they don't really emote as much as you'd expect but i think they were agonizing through this whole episode really so i'm kind of okay with the way it was portrayed yeah i i think they were trying to make the best of a bad situation on the one hand they'd got their daughter back on the other they'd missed 10 years of her life and i think trying to bring her up to speed with the things that she'd missed in those 10 years was distracting them from what they'd lost. So it's, I don't think it's a case of they, they weren't reacting perhaps as emotionally as they should have done. I think they were focusing on the problem at hand, which was probably diverting them from the loss that they were feeling. All right. But you know, not, I I don't just, I don't disagree that you're making good points, uh, Blaine. I'm just seeing it a little differently. That's all. Uh, And that's it. You're far too reasonable to be on the internet, dude. I am, aren't I? <laughs> yes, you are, yes. You should be frothing with rage at every available opportunity. Anyway, next time on all new episode of Listen to the Prophets, the Defiant receives a distress call from a Starfleet captain stranded on an inhospitable planet. The sound of her voice. The sound of fear. Tell me you're on your way. Tell me I'm going to be rescued. The cry of desperation. Tell me I'm not going to die alone. The resonance of hope. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank God. Now you hear it. Tell her her heroes are on the way. Now you don't. There's something moving out there. It's getting closer. No! On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The penultimate episode of season six. See you, everybody. Ta-da! Goodbye. Kapla! Isn't that hello? You say kapla, <laughs> I say kapla. <laughs> did the beat? Did the Beatles have hits on playing? It's 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 like aloha in Hawaii.
Ah, uh, uh, okay, it can be both. Yeah, that's what yeah, I'm going to go with. Yeah, that's that's very good. I say complot. That's pretty good, Paul. I like that. Uh, once in a while, <laughs> even a blind squirrel. <laughs> you say complot, and I say complot. Complot, complot. I don't know why I say complot. I say complot. You you could do it in, in various forms. You could also do complot. Is it me you're looking for? <laughs> oh, God. Kapla <laughs> uh, uh, there, it's been a while. Not much. How about you? <laughs> right, so we... Goodbye, let me see. Don't say Kapla. Never say Kapla. The Bon Jovi song? Yeah. Oh, boy. Kapla. Kapla, stranger. It's been nice. <laughs> Oh, Hope you, you find, find your what is the, the Klingon? <laughs> 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 uh, there you go. All right, uh, I think I think we we need to just end this on a high note. Drop the mic and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. You, I, I, uh, I, I, I started, but if you do want to carry on, yes, I like want to carry on. You got a problem like with these? What are you, Clint Eastwood from the show? The level of professionalism on this show is utter shit. It's Clint Eastwood from Play like, Misty for me. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like you laughing. And neither does my mule. See, he gets the idea you're laughing at him. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to. Listen to the Prophets, a Clint Eastwood podcast.